Good evening and welcome again to our Bible study series, Out of Bondage into Abundance. We are marching right along in part six, conquering the seven nations that resided in Canaan. And we have finished with three of those seven nations, and we're going to move right into the fourth one tonight, and this is a very fascinating study, and I think there are also some very important lessons for all of us to learn here. Um, We have been looking at this whole picture of Israel coming out of Egypt, traveling through the Red Sea, through the wilderness, and going on into the Promised Land. The final leg of their journey, however, God had been preparing them for right along, but I don't know if they fully appreciated what it all meant until they actually crossed the River Jordan and got into Canaan, but God had told them ahead of time there were seven nations there stronger and mightier than Israel. Not a very happy prospect, except for the fact that God also repeatedly assured them, I will go before you, I will send in my hornets, I will destroy them, and you wipe them out, drive them out, take possession of their land. But one of the things we saw in Deuteronomy 7, where all seven of those nations are listed, God also gave them very clear instructions. And tonight we're going to see what happens when you don't follow God's instructions. You know, you learn as you grow in the Lord that God's word, his commandments, everything that he speaks to us, it's for our good. It's not that he's trying to take away something from us that would make our lives happier or better. Rather, he wants us to have abundant life, and when he warns us about something, he's trying to protect us. And when we come to this fourth nation tonight, we're we're going to see very graphically what happens even when a leader, in this case Joshua, doesn't seek the Lord and find out what God's counsel is for a given situation. Uh, We are on page 115, if you are following along in the outline, and again, all of the notes, all of the previous recordings for these Bible studies are available on our website, and that's new-life-ministries.org. And the fourth nation that that we want to look at tonight are the Hivites. And this particular nation, we have a rather lengthy account in the book of Joshua about what they did with the Israelites when the Israelites came in to their territory. Uh, Let's get a little bit of background. First of all, turning to Joshua chapter 11, verses 18 and 19. It says, Joshua waged war against all these kings for a long time, except for the Hivites living in Gibeon. 
Not one city made a treaty of peace with the Israelites, who took them all in battle. So, they followed God's instructions, which one of them was very clear, don't make any treaty, don't make any peace treaty with any of these seven nations. Well, we just read here, except for the Hivites living in Gibeon. And we now want to back up to Joshua 9 and get the whole story here of what the Hivites did with the Israelites. I'm going to read quite a long section here. Just bear with me and follow along. Joshua 9, beginning with verse 1. It says, Now when all the kings west of the Jordan heard about these things, the kings in the hill country, in the western foothills, and along the entire coast of the Mediterranean Sea, as far as Lebanon, the kings of the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, mentions six of the seven nations right there, they came together to wage war against Joshua and Israel. So these nations are ready. They, they know Israel's coming, and they're prepared to go to war against them. Verse 3, However, when the people of Gibeon, remember we just read in chapter 11 that the people living in Gibeon were the Hivites. However, when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they resorted to a ruse. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn-out sacks and old wineskins, cracked and mended. They put worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes. All the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. Then they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and the Israelites, We have come from a distant country. Make a treaty with us. Note those words. Make a treaty with us. The Israelites said to the Hivites, But perhaps you live near us. So how can we make a treaty with you? We are your servants, they said to Joshua. But Joshua asked, Who are you, and where do you come from? They answered, Your servants have come from a very distant country because of the fame of the Lord your God. For we have heard reports of him, all that he did in Egypt, and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, Sihon king of Heshbon, and Og king of Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth. And our elders and all those living in our country said to us, Take provisions for your journey, go and meet them and say to them, We are your servants, make a treaty with us. <clears throat> This bread of ours was warm when we packed it at home on the day we left to come to you. But now see how dry and moldy it is. 
and these wineskins that we filled were new, but see how cracked they are, and our clothes and sandals are worn out by the very long journey. The Israelites sampled their provisions, oh, but follow this next part, but did not inquire of the Lord. Fatal mistake. They did not inquire of the Lord. Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live, and the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. Three days after that they at three days after they made the treaty with the Gibeonites, the Israelites heard that they were neighbors living near them. So the Israelites set out and on the third day came to their cities, Gibeon, Kephirah, Beeroth, and Kiriath Jerearim. But the Israelites did not attack them, because the leaders of the assembly had sworn an oath to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. Verse 21, they continued, Let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers in the service of the whole assembly. So the leader's promise to them was kept. Then Joshua summoned the Gibeonites and said, Why did you deceive us by saying, We live a long way from you while you actually live near us? You are now under a curse. You will never be released from service as woodcutters and water carriers for the house of my God. Quite a long account, but I think you see quite simply what the Hivites did. They had a whole different strategy from the other nations. Rather than get their fighting men and their swords and shields ready for battle, we read they resorted to a ruse. The Hebrew expression here is to use trickery, guile, or subtlety. It can also mean to pretend or to work cunningly. And it's actually translated that way in the Amplified Bible. They worked cunningly and went pretending. And we just read in Joshua's own words in verse 22, why did you deceive us? The Hivites used trickery, guile, subtlety, deception, cunning, pretension, all those words we can use for their strategy to avoid being defeated and driven out of Canaan. And <clears throat> this was a very elaborate plan. This took a lot of thought. It took a lot of effort and work, a lot of ingenuity to pull off this plan. And really, if you, if you read through it again, they have costumes, they have props. Mm -hmm. um, it was really like putting on a play. It was a it was a theatrical performance 
that they were putting on here. I would call it play acting. They used props. They used uh, all kinds of costumes. They had old sacks, moldy bread, worn-out sandals, and everything to make it look like they had been traveling for months and months from a distant country when indeed they were neighbors, all to deceive Joshua and the Israelites. The mistake that Joshua and the leaders made here is clearly described back in verse 14. They did not inquire of the Lord. They went by what they saw. They went by the natural. And I might as well go ahead now and tell you what the Hivites, you've probably already figured this one out, what the Hivites represent. Mm -hmm. This spirit is a spirit of deception, lying, and hypocrisy. And you can add other words, pretension, uh, cunning, guile, <clears throat> trickery. But it's a spirit of deception and lying. And of course, hypocrisy is lying and deception. This plan that they employed was really very ingenious. And it worked. Had Joshua and the leaders gone to the Lord in prayer and sought the Lord, inquired of the Lord, surely God would have told them, no, don't make a treaty with these guys. They're enemies. But they thought they had it all figured out, and they skipped that part. They didn't inquire of the Lord, and they got tricked into making a treaty with one of the seven nations they were supposed to destroy and drive out. Deception is something that we can't always recognize with our natural eyes, our natural ears, our natural senses. We need supernatural discernment that can only come from God. It can only come through prayer, through inquiring of the Lord. Jesus often warned in the Gospels about wolves who were going to come in sheep's clothing. They look like sheep. They bow like sheep. Everything about them tells us they're a sheep. But if you have discernment, you can see beyond what the physical eyes and the physical senses can discern. Now, <clears throat> Jesus often railed against the Pharisees and the religious leaders of his day for their hypocrisy. I've listed a number of references just in the Gospel of Matthew in the notes here. Wherever you find the word hypocrite or hypocrisy, and Jesus used it a number of times, it's a very interesting word in the Greek, and it sounds almost like the English word. The Greek word is hypocrites, and here's what it literally means. An actor 
under an assumed character, i.e. a stage player, a hypocrite. So, the, the real meaning of the Greek word is just what we saw the Gibeonites doing, putting on costumes, assuming a character that they are not, and putting on a theatrical performance. They're stage players. And the related word, hypocrisy, is the Greek word hypokrisis, which means acting under a feigned part, deceit, hypocrisy. Now, uh, people involved in the theater, Hollywood actors, that's what they do. They put on costumes, they use all kinds of makeup, they even change their accent, their voices. They assume a role, they assume the character of another person. And that's all done for entertainment. But in the context Jesus uses the word, this stage playing, this assuming uh, a character that's not really you. Um, he's using it in religious contexts, where we pretend to be somebody that we're not. And really, the spirit of the Hivites is exactly that. They were pretending to be somebody that they were not, and they deceived Joshua and all of the Israelites. So, this spirit, we could go on and on. I'm not going to bore you with all of the verses, not that you shouldn't know them, but there, there are many, many scriptures in both the Old and New Testaments about lying, deception, and things related to that. Um, I want to move right into how do we overcome this spirit. And we're going to look at seven different areas where God's Word gives us some wisdom and some counsel as to how to avoid being deceived and warnings against being a deceiver, being a hypocrite. So, looking at ways to overcome deception, lying, and hypocrisy Let's start off with point one. We need to know and understand the source of all deception. It's Satan. And I want to let that sink in because that's a powerful revelation right there. The source of all deception, all lies, white lies, whatever kind of lies you want to call them, the source of all deception is Satan. Jesus taught this very clearly in the Gospel of John. We need only look at John 8 and verse 44. <clears throat> John 8, 44. You'll have to pardon my voice, but we did a lot of preaching and a lot of shouting down in Florida this past weekend. You belong to your father the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. 
he was a murderer from the beginning and not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Very important. There is no truth in him. He, he not only did not hold to the truth, there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. We may speak English or Spanish or German. Satan speaks lies. That's his native language. He Not only is he a liar, he's the father of lies. Jesus chose these words very carefully and very deliberately. Father of lies means he begets all the lies, all the deceptions, all hypocrisy. He's behind everything which is not of truth. Anything that attempts to twist the truth, manipulate, deceive, fake, feign, pretend, all those things are the products of Satan's work. He's a liar. He speaks lies because that's his native language. That's the only language he can speak. And so we need to know the source of all deception. We can trace it ultimately back to the devil. Look also in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. Paul here is talking about the church being a bride espoused to be married to Jesus Christ. And just as God brought forth Eve to marry Adam in the Garden of Eden, so we find in the New Testament that there is a bride being prepared for the second Adam. Jesus Christ also will have his Eve. It's the bride of Christ. And Paul is connecting those two very uh, astutely here, and he says, I am afraid that just as Eve, he's talking about Eve back in Genesis 3, I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds, now he's speaking to the second Eve, the bride who is espoused to marry the second Adam, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So, this is what the devil does. He's cunning. He's crafty. He's a deceiver. And believe you me, he's working overtime now with Christians. He's already got the world. 2 Corinthians 4 is very clear. He's already blinded the eyes and the minds of all those who are not saved. He's got them. Now, his work is primarily focused on the church, 
the bride of Christ, somehow to use that same cunning, lying, deceiving to lead people astray. Notice that again. Deceived by the serpent's cunning that your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So much more we could look up on this one, but I think you get the point. The, the starting point to overcoming deception, lies, hypocrisy, and remember, this is a double-edged sword. The, the Hivite spirit speaks both about deceiving and being deceived. And actually, the Bible says when you begin to deceive others, you open yourself up for deception. So it does indeed work two ways. The way to start attacking that spirit is to understand its source. All lying, all deception, all hypocrisy can ultimately be traced back to the serpent. Satan, the devil, the father of lies. The second step toward overcoming this spirit, and this is important, is to know and understand God's final judgment for all liars. All liars. Revelation 21 This is not Old Testament. This is the last book of the Bible. Revelation 21, verses 7 and 8. Those who are victorious, those who overcome, will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, we talked about that in the last nation, the fearful, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars. Note the emphasis. None of the others are going to heaven. Cowardly, unbelieving, vile murderers, sexually immoral, those who are involved in the occult, witchcraft, idol worshippers, they're all going to the same place, but for special emphasis, the Word of God adds here, the word all, and all liars. They will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Apparently, God is not very fond of lying. And I think if you connect the first point that we just finished with and this second point, you can understand why. All lying is ultimately traced back to Satan, the father of lies. There's no truth in him. God hates that spirit of lying and deception. And that's why there's a special pronouncement of judgment on all of the liars. Anything which is not of truth. And I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but God is truth. There is no lie in him. The the Holy Spirit 
is called the Spirit of Truth. The Word of God is called the Word of Truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So everything about God is true, truth. So the opposite, lies, deception, cunning, manipulation, faking, hypocrisy, these are all things that are extremely detestable to God. And you and I need to know that. That will help us to fight the Spirit and to overcome it in our lives when we understand how detestable it is to the Lord. Let's look at just one other New Testament passage that I think will help us understand um, how God feels about this Spirit. 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 to 3. The Spirit clearly says that in later times, or in the last days, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars. There's the word, hypocritical. Hypocritical liars, whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry, and order them to abstain from certain foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit is sounding a clear warning that in the last days in which you and I find ourselves, there are going to be many deceiving spirits. And I believe in the context of this whole passage He's talking about spiritual leaders because these are people who are teaching others. They're teaching things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars. So these hypocritical liars that Paul is referring to, they're preachers, teachers, spiritual leaders whom Satan is using to accomplish what we just read in 2 Corinthians 11, to somehow deceive the people of God, just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, to somehow deceive the minds of people. <clears throat> I want you to notice a couple of things in this passage. It says, first of all, they abandoned the faith, they backslid, they left the true and the right path, and they begin to follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. And you might ask yourself, why would anybody leave the true and the right path and get sucked into some false religion that's teaching lies? Well, invariably, if you study what these deceiving spirits are teaching, there's some element in the teaching that basically says, oh, you don't have to really live holy. 
you can you can do sinful things and still go to heaven. And these deceiving spirits may also, as it mentions in verse three, teach some kind of ultra uh, Pharisaical kind of a lifestyle, even forbidding people to marry, to abstain from eating certain foods so that they can be holier, closer to God. <clears throat> the King James, in verse 1, it uses the expression, doctrines of demons. Doctrines of demons. Here it says, things taught by demons. These are demonic spirits that are twisting, distorting the truth, leading many, many, many people astray. And I'm not going to go into all the false cults and all the false religions. I think most of us know about the, the predominance of those kinds of movements in the world today. You and I, if we understand the source of all deception, here it's very clear, they're coming from demons, from demonic spirits that have been commissioned by the father of lies, by Satan. Who wants to believe something that's being taught by a demon? I sure don't. So, knowing the source, and then knowing God's judgment for all liars their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Third step. This is the positive part. We need to believe and love the truth. And coupled with that, another expression that we'll see, we need to learn how to walk in the light. There are two ways to walk. You walk in darkness or you walk in light. Walk in darkness means you're lying, you're covering up stuff, you're living a double life. Walking in the light means you're transparent, nothing hidden. Everything is exposed. You're, you're sincere. And this, this business of walking in the light is the most powerful antidote for hypocrisy. You can't be a hypocrite and also be walking in the light. Hypocrites are living a double life. They're acting out one life and they're living another one. Let me tell you something. It can be a very elaborate plan like the plan of the Gibeonites that we read about. I've seen some real doozies in my 41 years of ministry. Some people that really had me fooled for a long time until God pulled back the drapes and showed what was really there. Ugly, demonic, filthy, perverse things hidden behind a costume, a Christian costume. All right, let's look at a couple of key passages here that talk about the need for you and me to know the truth, to believe the truth, to love the truth. You really can't get saved without believing the truth. But it's an ongoing process after that where we keep loving the truth, buy the truth, sell it not, 
embrace the truth. John chapter 3, everyone knows John 3.16. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But you and I would do well to study that whole portion of Scripture, because that's not where it ends. And going down a couple of verses to John 3.19, let's read verses 19 to 21. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light. Light has come. But people still have to make a choice. The people loved darkness instead of light. Now, if we didn't have the next part of that sentence, you might be wondering, why would anybody do such a thing? You've been living in darkness all your life. Suddenly the light comes along. You have a chance to come out of darkness into this marvelous, glorious light. And instead... You make a conscious choice, a decision, to stay in darkness. It says the people love darkness instead of light. Ah, here it is. Because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light. Here it is. For fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. So, Jesus' whole message isn't complete if all you're quoting is John 3.16. Praise God for John 3.16. I love that verse. But if you're going to believe in Jesus, the truth, Something needs to happen. You and I, when we first come to Jesus, we got a whole bunch of baggage. We have a whole bunch of evil deeds. A whole bunch of stuff that was done in darkness. And you know, dirty deeds can be hidden in darkness. You can't see anything in the dark. But here's the the meaning of coming into the light. Jesus explains it for us. They will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. True repentance, true embrace of the truth requires us to open our lives up to the light. Let all of our past sins, our past deeds be exposed. If we go on hiding in the darkness then we're not going to experience true salvation. Whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be plainly seen. Notice that. Plainly seen that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. The same Apostle John expands on this in his first epistle. 
And I'll read that first, and then we're going to try to tie both of these passages together. 1 John 1, from verse 5 to 10. First John 1, starting with verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, remember, if you're walking in darkness, you can still hide and cover up stuff. But, we lie. Note those words. We lie. Who's the father of lies? That's right, Satan. We lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins, and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we have made him, God, out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. So, this is critical for you and me to understand, but more importantly, to begin to practice in our lives. The word walk refers to our daily lifestyle, our daily practice. And we're either going to choose to walk in light or walk in darkness. You know, when you're a baby, you have to learn how to walk. But once you get real good at it, it's second nature. You don't even think about putting your right foot in front of your left and your left in front of your right. It's just an automatic thing. Walking becomes almost an involuntary uh, thing that we do. Same thing. Initially, this is something strange and new for us, this walking in the light. We have to begin by confessing our sins, opening up our hearts to God, telling the Lord, God, I'm a liar, I'm a cheat, I'm an adulterer. I've done so many things in my life. And we need to bring those things before the Lord. He already knows everything we've done. But it's therapeutic for us. And... As we begin to experience that, it becomes our daily practice to live and walk in the light. Continuing with this third point, believing, loving the truth, another way of expressing that is walking in the light. Walking in darkness means we're covering up stuff. And that involves lying and deception. Walking in the light refers to coming to the truth, being honest, 
even to the point of exposing ourselves, confessing our sins before God. And both Jesus and John emphasize there's no middle ground here. You either love light or you love darkness. Those who loved darkness did not want their deeds to be exposed. So they were living a lie. That's basically what it's talking about. The sad thing is, in 1 John uh, chapter 1, verse 8 we read, <clears throat> If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. Remember I said this is a two-edged sword. We're deceiving others. We're, we're being a hypocrite. We're pretending to be something we're not. But we don't realize it, but a spirit of deception starts to operate in us also. And we become deceived. It's a very dangerous uh, road to go down. The only solution, come to the light, live in the light, love the light. It's painful, but once you get through it, it's a joy to live in the light and to love the light. And again, it, it speaks of just being honest, open, transparent, and sincere. This is all part of the strategy to defeat deception and hypocrisy in our lives. And churches, religious circles, they are the breeding ground for hypocrisy. Because everybody knows the standard we're supposed to be living. We're supposed to be holy and pure and righteous. We're supposed to be spiritual, people of prayer, people of the word. And when we know we're not really measuring up, we have a choice to make. I'm either going to repent, humble myself, go to God and say, Lord, I'm not really living right. Help me, cleanse me, change me, work in my life. Or we put on our Christian clothes, we go to church on Sunday or Wednesday or Friday, whenever it is, and we act out the part. How you doing, brother? Oh, hallelujah, I'm in victory. And you know you're not. That's lying. That's deception. And that's how hypocrisy starts. And we got to break this thing. we got to stop thinking we need to play some part. Be real. Be sincere. If you and I are having problems, James says, go to a brother or a sister who's mature in the Lord. Confess your faults one to another. Pray that God would heal you. If not, there's a grave danger here. We just read about it. We begin to deceive ourselves. And ultimately, we read here in 1 John 1 verse 10, if we claim we have not sinned when we actually have, we make God out to be a liar. And his word is no longer in us. Very dangerous. Another passage of scripture that we preached on recently in a Sunday service, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. This is a preview of coming events. 
what is coming on the earth in these last days is indeed deception. There's a day in the not-too-distant future where every inhabitant on the face of the earth will be deceived. It's very clear in the book of Revelation. This is how that's going to happen. 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 9 to 12, speaking about the beast, the Antichrist, who is described in Revelation chapter 13. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie. Interesting. Listen to that translation. He will use all sorts of displays of power. This is not God's power. It's satanic power. Through signs and wonders that serve the lie. I think King James says lying signs and wonders. And all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them, not Satan, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. Now, this is referring to a specific event in the future. It hasn't happened yet. The beast, the Antichrist, has not made his appearance yet. And we explained why recently. I'm not going to go into all that tonight. However, in 1 John, John also teaches that there are already many Antichrists in the world. The Antichrist spirit is alive and well in the world. It's alive and well in the U.S. of A. And many people are coming under a spirit of delusion, a strong deception. But there's a reason why. They were given the opportunity to hear the truth, believe the truth, and love the truth. And it says here, they refused they refused to love the truth. And more and more, you can look around you and see our culture is embracing lies. We've embraced, as a culture, I'm not saying we, you and me, but the culture has embraced these big lies. Gay marriage, abortion, Legalizing marijuana. These are, these are huge deceptions that have come upon the, the government, the officials, right down to the ordinary Joe on the street. They refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Now, the, the devil brought the lies the devil is the father of lies, but it's almost like their doom is sealed now. They perish because they refuse to love the truth. And of course, during the tribulation, they will ultimately 
take the mark of the beast, and that's it. There's no turning back after that. But even now, there are many antichrists in the world, and they're doing the same thing. They're deceiving. And verse 11 is the part of this whole passage that really gives me shivers. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie. And so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth, but have delighted in wickedness. Look at our culture now. We delight in wickedness. Homosexuality, adultery, violence, lies, all these things are glorified in the media, in the movies, in the news, everywhere you look. It's glorified. And yet, God's call to you and to me is to know the truth, believe the truth, and love the truth. That doesn't mean just loving the Bible. Loving the truth means even loving the truth when God brings it to your life. When the truth of His Word starts to expose things in your heart, you and I have to make a choice. We can either say, Oh, no, 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 that's not right, God. I'm not proud. Oh, no, no, I'm not selfish. I'm, I'm a very generous person. I'm a very humble person. And therein we start to deceive ourselves because we're rejecting God's truth. We need to learn to welcome the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We need to welcome that word that God brings to our heart where he starts to fillet us. (laughs) He starts to cut open stuff and put his finger on things in your life. I hope you all know what I'm talking about. I sure do. He starts to put his finger on things and say, you're proud. You're selfish. You don't really love people. All you care about is yourself. You're stingy. You just put a dollar and 23 cents in the offering plate. You're stingy. And we can either listen to that still small voice. Sometimes it's a little louder than still and small. But listen to the conviction that God brings by His Spirit and by His Word, or we can keep rejecting it. And little by little, we're hardening our hearts, and we're ending up the way we read earlier in 1 Timothy 4, with seared consciences. Our consciences begin to get calloused, seared. We, we can no longer even feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit for things that we're doing that we used to know were wrong, but we didn't love the truth. One of my favorite verses concerning truth is found in the book of Proverbs. I forget the exact reference, but you can easily find it. Buy the truth and sell it not. Well, what does that mean, buy the truth? Well, are you going to go to a store somewhere and buy some truth? No. What the Bible is trying to speak to you and me is, if you want to live the truth, love the truth, believe the truth, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you a lot. It's going to mean confessing your sins. It's going to mean 
coming out of the darkness into the light. It's going to mean no more games, no more hypocrisy, no more pretending. I'm going to be who I really am. There's a cost. But you either buy the truth or you sell it. One more verse, and we're going to have to stop here to complete point three, and we'll continue right on next time. Psalm 51, you remember, was David's song of repentance after his sin with Bathsheba and after he was exposed by the prophet. Psalm 51, verses 6 and 7, I'm going to read from the New King James. He's praying to God here. He says, Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. I really like this verse because... In our Christian circles, we tend to focus just on the external, the exterior, what other people see, what other people hear. And again, it's not that hard to play act. We can put on a pretty good show. We can pretend that we're on fire for God. We can pretend that we're really walking with the Lord. We can pretend, oh, we're seeing visions of angels and... And, you know, God is just talking to us all the time. But, you know, at the end of the day, God knows what's going on inside. He gets down in where no one else can see. And that's what David's talking about here. God, I'm tired of pretending. If you know the story of David, almost a year went by after he fell into adultery with Bathsheba before he finally praised this prayer. So he knew what it was to live in darkness, to cover up, and to be a hypocrite for all that year. But now he's coming clean, and he says, Lord, you desire truth, not just on the outside, in the inward parts, in the hidden parts. And, you know, you can only deal with that part of you when you get into the presence of God. It's just you and God. And you begin to develop an intimate relationship with God where you open up things to Him. You open up your heart to God. And you allow God to search you. You allow God's Word and God's Spirit to begin to cleanse those inward parts. And I often pray uh, this prayer, Lord, please bring truth into my inward parts. I want truth deep down inside, because if you've got truth deep down inside, then it's going to manifest in the outward as well. But the Pharisees, the hypocrites, they had the outward show, but Jesus said, inwardly, you're like tombs full of dead men's bones. Outwardly, you look all righteous, praying long, eloquent prayers, but inside, full of extortion and greed and all kinds of filthy things. So, 
recapping these first three. Number one, we need to know the source of all deception. It's from the devil. Two, we need to know God's judgment for deception, lies, and hypocrisy. All liars will find themselves in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Therefore, you and I need to repent for all lying, all deception, all hypocrisy. And thirdly, the positive part of that is to believe the truth, love the truth, and begin to practice on a daily basis living and walking in the light. And John, he's very clear here, if we sin, and we do, then here's the formula. Don't cover it up. Don't go into the darkness. Come to God. Come running to the light. Confess your sins to God. Let the blood of Jesus cleanse you. And choose to turn from that sin. Come out of that darkness back into the light. And your fellowship with Christ and with others can be restored very quickly. Let's pray tonight and ask the Lord to really help us to have this kind of a spirit within us where we love the truth no matter what the cost. We want to live in the light, walk in the light. We, we don't want anything to do with this Hivite spirit. Lying, deception, hypocrisy, that we can be just as real when we're in church as we are when we're alone with God in our prayer closet. Because he desires truth in the inward parts. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you tonight that you are truth. You're the God of truth. Your Son, Jesus Christ, he is the truth. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. Everything about you is light and truth. And everything about the devil is darkness, lies, and deception. And Father, I pray tonight that you would work deeply in each one of our hearts. Get down into the inward parts Cleanse us, purge us of any deception, especially self-deception, any <clears throat> tendency to cover up or to role-play or try to act out something that we really aren't. God, help us to leave all that behind and to come to the truth, love the truth, embrace the truth. Lord, so often... Uh, people on the outside, the very first thing they say about church and Christians is it's full of hypocrites. Well, they're not entirely right and they're not entirely wrong. Father, I pray that you would cleanse us. Cleanse the church of hypocrisy. Set people free from deception. Bring us out of darkness into your marvelous light. And Lord, in these last days, so many are being blinded and deluded and deceived by these spirits of Antichrist. God, open their eyes, grant them repentance, that they can turn from false religions, from lying spirits and demons of, uh, of false doctrine, doctrines of demons, your word says, 
God help people to come out of those things, come into the light, and come into the truth of your holy word. Lord, I praise you and I thank you for doing that work in each and every one of our hearts and lives. Bless each and every one participating in this Bible study tonight. Keep them, watch over them, help us to walk with you closely in these last days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.